the architect. I've been waiting for you. Why am I here? Your life is the sum of a remainder of an unbalanced equation inherent to the programming. You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision. While it remains a burden assiduously avoided, it is not unexpected and thus not beyond a measure of control, which has led you inexorably here. As you are undoubtedly gathering, the anomaly is systemic, creating fluctuations in even the most simplistic equations. Choice. The problem is choice. whatever you got. The boys are all here for you. We'll back you up. We'll be there. You're the reason. We're not gonna screw that up. We're gonna be awesome for you right now. All right? Come on. Come on. You have chosen wisely. private vendetta of yours could easily compromise Her Majesty's government. You have an assignment, and I expect you to carry it out objectively and professionally. Then you have my resignation, sir. We're not a country club, 007. It was the job we were chosen for. Of course you'd say that. James Bond, Her Majesty's loyal terrier, defender of the so-called faith. Oh, please, James, put it away. It's insulting to think I haven't anticipated your every move. You don't think this is a very good plan, do you? So there is a plan. I got the impression we were risking millions of dollars and hundreds of lives on a game of luck. What else can you surmise, Mr. Bond? About you, Miss Lynn? Well, your beauty's a problem. You worry you won't be taken seriously. Which one can say of any attractive woman in the heart of pain? My name is Bob. James Bob. Thank you, man. Thank you. I even had my James Bond shirt on that I was going to show you. Uh, guys. Like, oh, yeah. Nah. Nice. Makes <laughs> me think. I, I got a bunch of, I collect a bunch of stupid shit, and I don't have any Bond things. I have so many just little knickknacks of films I love, you know, but nothing Bond. When we started discussing this, that's one thing that kind of struck me as well. For all the movies they've done, they have not merchandised Bond really at all you don't see yeah. kids toys you don't see cool little gadgets for the the kids could kind of play with that mimic right. a lot of the stuff that have been in the movies it's kind of surprising that that is an aspect they have not gone for nerds would eat that shit up but all, all of bond's toys are just too damn expensive he's always wearing those omega watches and what are those sunglasses yeah. that that craig's wearing those pugos or whatever those things are like 500 bucks a pair yep <laughs> maybe we're just too poor the, the peasant stuff is not properly advertised. Mm-hmm.
there was a trend that kind of started with our our mutual friend Nicole, where at the end of her episode, she kind of Babe Ruthed her next booking. If we do a show about the room, we have to bring Nicole on. When we were talking before the show, doing some pre-planning, all we wanted to do was talk about the running man. <laughs> and so I wanted to offer you, if you wanted to Babe Ruth your next booking, Definitely. Yeah, I would love to. Okay. Uh, Let's do this officially then. Okay, Let's go. Cool. It has to be an in-depth discussion <laughs> of Mad Dog Ben Richards, that is the Butcher of Bakersfield, and get a deep dive into The Running Man, because I know I love Predator, and it's the best movie of all time, of course, but The Running Man is right there with it, and so Ooh. the next time where you guys want to do a Schwarzenegger deep dive, I have to be on The Running Man episode. Make it happen. I'll be there. Rain <laughs> or shine. Edger threw in about four Easter eggs if you're a Running Man fan. God dang, I love it. Next Andrew Edwards appearance on this show, we will be talking about Running Man. You guys ready to go? Sure. Let's roll. Alright, man, let's do this. Hello everyone and welcome to Spitting the Real Shit. Uh, the only weekly movie podcast met exclusively by for and about the online Facebook group, The Real Shit. Uh, you are catching us on a very special day because this is our 57th episode ever. And this week we throw one to the homies because this is our fourth ever group choice episode uh, where we look to the members of the real shit to help program an episode and on this edition it's all about one man james bond uh, we examine one of the longest running film franchises with a discussion on the brand through the years as well as dissect three of its entries 1989's license to kill 1995's goldeneye and 2006's casino royale along with an unprecedented top five for Bond films on whole. My name is Charles Thompson, founder, administrator, and bracket master of the real shit. And joining me, as always, is my co-host and fellow administrator, the midnight movie maniac, Elf Ryland Johnson. What's going on, man? The name's Bond. James Bond. Man, I hope you boys have your uh, martini shaken, not stirred. I'm ready, bro. And coming along with us on this debonair journey is our longtime member guest and GCE poll winner, Andrew Edwards. Welcome back to the show. How are you, man? I am doing great. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about what I consider to be the best film franchise, dare I say it, ever. I, James Bond can't be beat. and get you guys to acknowledge its greatness and, and kind of take the little ride here with me. We are glad to have you, man. You were the clear winner. You were our seventh return guest, Andrew. Uh, awesome. So you made the top ten. And it uh, looks like people wanted to talk about James Bond. I'm excited to talk about it. I know that both you and Ryland are just enormous fans. But all the chips on the table in James Bond talk, if you will. Never really watched a whole lot of James Bond films. Uh, so definitely something that I'm not used to. But I was excited to explore it. And it was fun that we had entries that had three different Bonds. And they were kind of later editions anyway. So... Our plan here tonight, guys, is to kind of talk a little bit about the history of the franchise, what it gave to pop culture, and then also dissect these three films. And a top five, guys. This thing is packed. So without further ado, guys, let's get into it. As a film franchise, what the origins are. Not to get you know too far into the 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 weeds and the history of of where the character came from obviously it's 
Ian Fleming had a series of novels that they adapted and initially with trying a couple of things with Sean Connery and, and how successful those early films were, it kind of exploded onto itself. If your man lives for excitement, give him 007. There's a 007 gift set for every assignment. This one packs the full line, including 007 aftershave, hairdressing, and cologne. That's 007 for the license to kill women. When you use 007, be kind. I think in the 60s, they cranked out one every year or two at the beginning of his run, kind of picking and choosing from some of Ian Fleming's source material and also just adapting kind of their own stuff. And when it became as big as it was into the 60s and they saw viability to continue it on, there was no reason to stop the machine that, that was going. I think they built on a nice formula or foundation for, for the character itself and kind of basic tropes that, that they incorporated film after film to make it work. And, and I think a lot of those things still hold up even in the, the modern films. But perhaps before Lord Topper starts to talk, he might like a glass of wine. He's looking a little shaken. Shaken, but not stirred. <laughs> At its um. core, I think it's basically general wish fulfillment fantasy. When you look at a Bond film, it's beautiful people, be it James Bond himself or the women that he's surrounded with. It's a lot of travel and vacation porn, basically. And I think especially <laughs> back in the early days of, of like the 1960s and into the 70s when you see exotic locations that random guy that pays to go see a movie in a theater may never ever get a chance to go to but you see this character getting to go to all the best places getting to experience these ultra high class hotels and resorts and you see parts of the world that really you don't see in a lot of different random films so hard, this shit crazy. Y'all don't know that don't shit face. And that's the go. Oh, for 82, when I look at you like this shit crazy. Fall so hard, this shit weird. We ain't even pope be here. Fall so hard since we here. It's only right that we be fair. Psycho. I think that part of it always lends itself to a general audience to be like, oh, wow, he's in Morocco now. Or, or wow, he's in uh, Egypt or whatever. And just you get a flair for the rest of the world through the high class kind of James Bond experience. Your James Bond films, you've always got to include the cool cars, the toys, the gadgets, and they always have one or two, at least in every movie, some kind of super elaborate action set piece or something that, that kind of just blows your mind. Even if it uh, kind of takes away from possibly the overall story, you've got a cool car chase in there, you've got this, this crazy underwater action that goes on that you don't catch in the, uh, the random uh, everyday movie. Yeah. And then, of course, you get unique characters. That's one thing that I think once they've set that, okay, this is the formula that we use, what they spice it up with is you've got Ajab, this the henchman. <laughs> You must excuse our job, Mr. Bond. He's an admirable manservant, but mute. He's not a very good caddy. 
they stumbled across a formula that worked and then they just pulled the, the handle on the slot machine and it kept paying off again and again and again because so many of those still you know hit the dopamine in people's heads yeah. when they want to watch them. I, I think you know. nailed it with the with the fantasy you know kind of aspect you know it has to be someone with the everyday guy you know everybody wants to be a james bond you know you get to wear the cool suits and shoot the guns and drive the cars and and the gadgets now this one i'm particularly keen about you see the gear lever here now, if you take the top off, you'll find a little red button. Whatever you do, don't touch it. No, why not? Because you'll release this section of the roof and engage and fire the passenger ejector seat. Most guys, you know, work at an office. There's no jobs not interesting. You know, their life's kind of boring. So you kind of, you know, yeah, you project yourself into that, that Bond character. What makes me laugh is, you know, we're all big Arnold fans. So you think about Total mm. Recall. Yep. Total Recall, he picks the James Bond experience. Face it, why go to Mars as a tourist when you can go as a playboy or a famous jock or... Secret agent. How much is that? Ah, let me tantalize you. You are a top operative, back under deep cover on your most important mission. People are trying to kill you left and right. You meet this beautiful, exotic woman. Come on. I don't want to spoil it for you, Doug. But you rest assured, by the time the trip is over, you get the girl, kill the bad guys, and save the entire planet. Now you tell me, isn't that worth a measly 300 credits? What's better than being on a cool spy espionage, drive the Ferrari, you go pick up the girl, you look like a million bucks in your tuxedo, you order a martini, you play some <laughs> poker. That's like the perfect night for me. Get out of here. That's why this is a, a proven recipe for success. I mean, every man wants to be Bond and every girl wants to be with Bond. Will I see you later? Well, it all depends on how much vitamin E I can get my hands on. Mine, mine, Akatum. Peter, no, no, you mustn't go. I, I need you. I never met nobody like you. I can't live without you. The Heska macht mein entire Leben. But also, you right. got to give credit to the Broccoli's. I think, you know, we don't have to get too much of the Ian Fleming and the history in the beginning, but I think the success of the Bond franchise is based pretty much on the Broccoli's having control over it for the last 50 yep. years. Hollywood hey. takes these Ooh. franchises and spits them out, man. You've seen it. I mean, they're trying to reboot all this shit that was good 30 years ago, and they're trying to reboot because they leave these franchises. Hollywood goes, no, you're not cool anymore, so bye. And then it's cool again in 20 years, and then guess what? They want you back. The Broccoli's stuck through... Bond through everything. There's some stinkers in there. It gets kind of comical with Morris. You know, it's that's why Austin Powers is is primarily based off of Roger Morris, James Bond. But yeah, I, I think that they they deserve a huge amount of credit that the average James Bond fan won't know is the Broccoli family. This is their baby. This is all they have. They've always treated it with respect. They've always cherished it, and they're always excited about the new actor or the new phase. And they keep it in the family, which I think is awesome. Enter Barbara Broccoli. Her and her half-brother, Michael Wilson, run Eon Productions, the studio that exclusively focuses on the James Bond franchise. It was handed down to them after their father, Alfred Cubby Broccoli, purchased the rights to James Bond for just $50,000. I was listening to a commentary on one of these films we're going to get into, and the director even made a point to talk about if you are part of the Bond family that is behind the scenes and all that, they keep yeah. those people. And and for film after film, I want to say John Glenn, who directed a bunch of them, he started it like real basic in some of the early era Sean Connery films. And they kind of worked him up into an assistant director. And eventually he was directing a bunch of these movies. But if you became part of the people that they trusted and they felt like 
treated it with the respect it deserved. They kept those people film after film. I don't have friends. I got family. It's a cool story, even the character we love, and, and I, I can get into the character forever, but you're right. I, I think the Broccoli's, especially I think Cubby Broccoli was the what they called the main guy or whatever. I think he saw yeah. the potential in it and saw that, hey, this is a valuable franchise. And even though he let some of the movies at the time get a little cheesy, that was, I think, what the audience kind of wanted. Yeah. So, oh, there's they were super successful and they're all ties of their time. I mean, I love how Bond evolves with the climate and what's going on in the world. You know, you see all the Cold War stuff in the early 60s and 70s one. Then they moved to more 80s where they're friends with the comrades now. And then Dalton's chasing drug dealers. You know, he did a cocaine Bond movie. I mean, they definitely adapt. And that's what's kept them successful over 50 years. They know what to put in and they know what to do of the time. And and even now with even the newest Bond, if you've watched No Time to Die, I mean, there's a lot of interjection in that of the times we're in. This is it. This is it. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of him. James Bond, I've made you redundant. Not as long as there are people like you in the world. Come on, Bond. Andrew, did you watch No Time to Die in the theater? I did. A couple weeks ago. You know, I always go into movies without reading anything. Man, I walked out all like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> you know, yeah. like I knew that movie took too long to come out too. I think it was, what, a year and a half almost delayed. I think they were like, we can't drop this bomb on Rylan uh, during the pandemic. He might not make it. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, man. It, it, shit, if they had to drop that movie like back in October of 20, I'd have been like, man, the fucking world sucks. And, when I know I'm involved enough in a character, it only takes 20 years or, or, you know, 15 to 20 years for me to actually care about that character. But even though I almost expected that to happen, you you had speculation that you saw and read or you just you thought that like in the back of my mind, it's not going to be yeah. like all these other ones. You're I'm you're a Bond fanboy. I'm a Bond fanboy. I'm going to get into two real quick theories of mine. Number one is Skyfall. Albert Finney's character was always supposed to be Sean Connery, and they just couldn't pay oh, him enough oh. money to come back. M, this is Kincaid, gamekeeper here since I was a boy. Pleased to meet you, Emma. Mr. Kincaid. You're a tad late. They've sold the place when they thought you were dead. Seems they were wrong. What are you doing here? Some men are coming to kill us. We're going to kill them first. Then we'd better get ready. <laughs> the whole character was designed to be Sean Connery. That, that's why they brought back the, the classic Aston Martin and everything. Uh, We're going to put this world together and you're just going to have Connery in here because he's the older whatever guy. Because there's no reason for Albert Finney to be in that movie. That character is based around having a cameo of Sean Connery. That would have been the cherry on the top of that damn movie. The other theory of mine is I think that in the late 90s was their chance to do this and they blew it. Which is to, to make a movie that you find out that James Bond is a rank and not a person. They could have brought in Roger Moore as a, an older one. This is basically a rank. 007 is basically James Bond. That's a position that yeah. different guys have held. And you could have had all of them. And, and that could have been one of those movies that blows everybody's mind. Odds are he won't live to see tomorrow. Get on.
if I was given a billion dollars, I would make that movie. It would be Spider-Man Homecoming, but with every James Bond, and we'd bring back Sean Connery digitally, like Irishman style. This is my fan yeah. theory. If you went super into it, like... If he's going around saying, my name's James, James Bond. Yep. It's like Ethan Hunt. Like, that's not his real name. That's his, that's his sign. Yeah. You know, he's really, yes. you know, Nathaniel Larson. Exactly. Rick Stevens. Rick Stevens. Uh, I, uh, yes. my dad, we uh, lived on a corn farm in Idaho. I'm not even British. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even fucking British. Yeah. British. <laughs> all right. Um, hey, well, so, no, sorry. I, I, no, uh, I mean these are these are all just fantastic points. But I am curious as to whenever the change was made from Connery to, I believe. Roger Moore was that the next iteration? Well, technically, so, Lazenby was in there, but I don't count him because Lazenby kind of fucked up the franchise by taking the role, and then they offered him seven films, and he said, "No, I'm too big for this shit now," or something. There's a great documentary on how he got the role. Anybody that's listening is a Bond fan. You've got to watch that documentary. The James Bond films have made household names out of actors playing Agent 007, except for one, George Lazenby. Used car manager. George Lazenby went from being a car salesman in Queenbee to playing 007. I didn't have any acting experience. Is it true that you told a pack of lies to get the role? Well, I must have done a pretty good job because they wanted me to sign for six more. The new James Bond, George Lazenby. So Connery was done, right? And so they just decided to go ahead and move on with Lazenby. Yeah. But then even Lazenby didn't even want to do it? He did one, and then okay. I, I want to say he famously just told his agent, no. I don't want to yeah. do another one. This is the role of a lifetime. He's like, yeah. nope. This is what the problem was. He quit the role before the movie even came out because they wanted him to promote this movie. You know, back in the 60s, there was a lot of promotion on the Johnny yep. Carson show. He had to go out there and he had to be on these talk shows because he's the next guy after Sean Connery. It's a huge thing. It's the late 60s, early 70s, and he wanted a full beard. His agent hadn't seen him in three months. <laughs> Nobody had seen this guy. He did this movie. He probably made some money. He was a playboy. He was probably off doing drugs and, and f***ing women. He comes back and he's got a full beard. And his agent's like, wait, what? A, you, wait, you, you got to shave that. He's like, I'm not shaving my beard. You're James Bond. You don't look anything like the guy. Like, you have to shave your beard if you're going to go on these shows. And it was this big dispute. And he was just pretty much, his ego had gotten so big. And his agent actually was the one that was like, James Bond is, is not the future. It's going to die with Connery. You need to just get out now while you can, because if you do the next three, four films, you, you know, they're going to get worse and worse and worse and you'll never work again. Boy, was he wrong. That was the thinking of James Bond whenever it finally did change hands to Roger Moore. But James, I need you. So does England. I think, you know, because the 70s was a changing time, the late 60s, the war ended. There was a lot of shit going on and change. And he thought maybe people were over that type of story, the espionage, the, the womanizing, that kind of stuff. So. You know. So what does it turn into? Does it turn into like a hokey type of thing? Like a is is Moore still a man of action? Mr. Bond, you defy all my attempts to plan an amusing death for you. His first three or four films I thought were great. Yep. See, my introduction to Bond was really late. I had watched because I thought it had the coolest cover of a VHS was Moonraker. Because it was like <laughs> James Bond in space. They had lasers and shit. And you know, this is nineteen eighty one. It's crazy how some of the Bond films kind of definitely go for what's cool at the time. Like Star Wars had just come out a few yep. years ago. So like they were like, well, we, let's just put James Bond in space. We have to have shuttles and rockets and shit. So, <laughs> but that was my introduction to Bond. You know, I didn't really know any better. I thought it was just, that's how it was until I saw Goldeneye, really. So to me, when I look at kind of a macro look at the franchise in general, the most important Bond that they've had is Roger Moore. Carried the torch, man. He carried the yeah. biggest torch there was. You have a nasty habit of surviving. 
You know what they say about the fittest? You know, especially back then when there's not a lot of Bond guys in Hollywood back then. Hollywood has expanded tenfold since then. Back then, it was hard to find these guys. There was only two or three guys that they were talking about before Sean Connery, you know. And so when he left the situation, they just thought the franchise was going to die with him. And then more came in. I thought he did a great job. He kept the franchise going when it was at its weakest point, in my opinion. Take a fountain pen. Twist the top. And a highly concentrated mixture of nitric and hydrochloric acid dissolves all metals. Wonderful for poison pen letters. Pay attention, 007. So when they went with Lazenby, if you look at Lazenby, he's basically a Sean Connery starter kit. So you're just trying to get somebody that's Sean Connery. When you go to Roger Moore, he has a completely different style. He's a a completely different type of presence on screen. He kind of delivers or runs the character a completely different way. And he got kind of into things that were not very Sean Connery. And and you're right, for a, a long period throughout his run of movies, the tone changes with the times, but he's able to keep the franchise going and you become a James Bond for a whole generation of people that, okay, Roger Moore is the, the James Bondy character. You missed Mr. Bond. Did I? But I think them being able to transition to someone else and have different traits about that kind of resonated with that particular character, I think yeah. that's what allowed it then, okay, when Roger Moore was done, we can actually move on to this guy, Timothy Dalton, or, or whomever we choose next, and he can have a different tone and interpretation of his Bond, and that's okay because it worked from the guy that, at the time, everybody's like, nobody's going to replace Sean Connery. That's He's James yeah. Bond. And then you right. have Roger Moore, who kills it for a decade and a half or whatever, and so it, it allows us to keep the whole franchise going. A lot of people are down on Roger Moore because his movies kind of are a little bit hokey, but I love the fact that he was able to morph it into his own for as long as he did those movies, and it allowed for Daniel Craig's and and Pierce Brosnan's and all those kind of things later on to make. You're not a sportsman, Mr. Bond. Why did you break off the encounter with my pet python? I discovered he had a crush on me. In my household, I think that's why I didn't see a lot of more movies, uh, Roger movies, because my dad thought they were probably cheesy and hokey and weren't into them. Every time a new Bond came out, you could buy the set, and I finally got into the older ones, and that's a whole different bag. So and if you want your DVD jam-packed with features. I'm talking about a a dead technology that's going away or whatever, but if you want to know everything and everything there is to know, they threw commentaries on those things. You got special features. You got, those were great. And and yes, if you want to do a deep dive, they've got everything on those things. Uh, Bobby Williams sold me every Bond movie for $30 on DVD. Shout out to Bobby. Hell of a deal. There's all this extra shit on these that these Blu-rays just don't even fuck with anymore. Really, the DVDs are the little gold mines to me. Yep. The James Bond 007 Collection. Name's Bond. James Bond. Three gift sets on special edition DVD. Presented in widescreen with digitally enhanced picture and sound. A feast for my eyes. Cutting edge menus launch you beyond the action. Got a few optional extras in the store. With deleted scenes, original documentaries, exclusive featurettes, audio commentaries, music videos, screen tests, trailers, photo galleries, and so much more. And so, like you said, after Roger Moore goes to Timothy Dalton, I want to say that at this point now, the regime change is like a big deal. Who's going to play the next Bond? Dalton's the untouched gangster, dude. He came in, he did two really good Bond films, and he was out. Like, he didn't do any bad. Pushkin should be in Tangiers in two days' time. A termination warrant has been issued for him. 
Uh, this uh, plot to kill agents sounds rather far-fetched, sir. I know General Pushkin. Oh, do you think I don't? I've dealt with him on several occasions. Because each one of them, to me, has a bad film. Okay. Even Craig, you know. But I love how Dalton was just like, he was supposed to get the role before Moore. Moore got it. He got it. And he said, you know what? I'm not doing it unless I do it my way. He wanted him dark. He wanted to do a quick little two. He actually wanted to do three. But, I mean, there, that's why there's a six-year gap. The biggest gap between Bond films is 89 and 95 because of the yep. wider right. strike and just, just finding a new Bond. But by the time he got around to Dalton, he's too old and was like, I'm done. You could have had everything. Don't you want to know why? I was not aware of Dalton's Bond really at all until I looked back at the canon and went, well, who the fuck's this guy? Because 87, 89, dude, I was young. He came in and out. They weren't highly toted at the time. But when you look back yeah. at them, they're fucking great. Both of them probably almost top 10 to me. So My whole family, I guess, is into Bond. And so that yeah. was a moment of, okay, my aunt's taking us to the theater. Let's <laughs> see here. I would have been nine, maybe. So <laughs> when you say Dalton decided to go a little bit darker, he touches on that in Living Daylights maybe a little bit. But when it comes to this one, he goes real dark. Oh, yeah. License to Kill is maybe the darkest Bond movie when it comes to the Roger Moore one. For Your Eyes Only is about as dark as he gets. If I don't report in by tomorrow morning, not only will my people, but the entire Greek police be down on you like a load of bricks. Don't worry. By tomorrow, we'll be good friends. Let us drink to that. I'll wait till tomorrow. That's good and it's pretty grounded, but it's nowhere near as dark as this thing. Oh, no. It goes through waves, you know. You get, I feel like, one of the most well-rounded with Sean Connery. Then you get the goofy one with Moore. Then they get back down to reality with Dalton. Then, of course, who do they go towards? The person who was supposed to get it before Dalton, which was Pierce Brosnan. Because, yep. you know, you guys, everybody knows that's famous, where he got the fucking Remington Steel contract by his balls or whatever. He couldn't get out of it, so he, he had to wait almost a decade to be Bond again. <laughs> No, no, no. No more foreplay. And then, you know, down to reality again with Daniel Craig. And to me, obviously, if you, you were about to see my top five, that's the Bond I love. I love a more <laughs> realistic setting because it's already an amazing setting. It's, you know, you know he's going to have a cool car and you know he's going to have a cool watch and you know he's going to be looking good and all this shit. But let's make it a little bit more serious and a little bit more espionage, which, you know, lives are on the line here. You know, he's blowing people up left and right. Let's make those lives matter. You know, let's not make it yeah. a commando where he blows up a whole island and nobody gives a fuck. Remember, Sally, when I promised to kill the last? That's right, Major. You did. I lied. Let's kill two or three, four or five guys in this and make each kill mean something. That's the kind of weight I like in a Bond film. But So, like, we already talked about, you know, the, the, the history of the franchise and uh, the impact that it's had, you know, with the you know self-fulfilling fantasies, you know, uh, espionage, all that kind of stuff. Like, what do you think James Bond leaves in his wake as far as a nearly 60 year franchise history you, you probably wouldn't have a batman series that was very daunting i thought if i have to be as good a shape as this guy I'm, i think i'm in trouble i worked out for almost a year before this movie started to get into becoming a superhero at the, at the, my advanced age and uh, that does not come easy but that's what audiences have have come to expect makes sense i think that the character itself is fluid in that way to where the audience is in on it. They understand like what happens when they change things. 
you know, everything's going to change. I think they just kind of play to that. But the, the basic structure is still there. These are the constants. But these other things can change. A lot of franchises, a lot of reboots, a lot of things like that. And I think that's where the inspiration comes from is just the full reset. You know, keep the basic rules, but let's, let's, let's go this way now. Roger Moore played a huge part in building that and being able to take this same character that Connery had and make it its own to where the audience now knows, okay, now we can change personalities with this guy. Like like the 007 moniker kind of takes its own life. So Connery <laughs> did six. Yep. If you count his non-canon, yeah. But, you know. If it's not a Broccoli film, it's not a Bond film to me. But... Sean Connery is James Bond, Agent 007. Never say never again. My name is Bond. Oh, you're Mr. Bond. I believe I'm having you in half an hour. Oh, splendid. Your room or mine. I'm a broccoli enthusiast. You know, I can't count it. He gave up the throne to Lazenby. And then he said, you know what? No. And then he did Diamonds Forever in 71. I had an um, octopus that came out in 83. And Never Say Never came out in 83. And Roger Moore's outdid him by like 15 million. Okay, so Sean Connery did a James Bond film that wasn't in Broccoli canon? Andrew knows more about this than I do, probably. Okay, so when they did Thunderball, which is, I think, the fourth Bond movie, another guy wrote most of it. So he had credit for the story on that. And then afterwards, they got into kind of a legal battle where he claimed rights to that story and parts of the character and things that he had kind of entered in. And so for a long time, and this is why even after Never Say Never Again, I think this might have been part of the reason why it took so long in between Dalton's last bond and getting to Brosnan. They were continued legal battles over, okay, this guy has a piece of bond, but he only has this little part of it. So Never Say Never Again is technically a remake of Thunderball. The plot points of the movie are very similar, but that's how they were able to make that movie is that the guy had the rights to Thunderball, and so then he can then finance through another studio. He kind of carved out a piece of it because he participated, I guess, in enough of the concept of what went into Thunderball at the time. So come the early 80s, they had two versions of Bond coming in the exact same year. One was Roger Moore. Here comes back Sean Connery to this role that he had made into its own. And so that was it was a weird time, I guess. But yeah, it's pretty damn good movie. (laughs) Like compared to the Moors of the time, Never Say Never Again is pretty damn good. But God, Sean Connery looks terrible in it. You know, his his wig's really showing. His age is showing. And he just doesn't pull it off as well. And that's kind of why Moore turned me off in his later age. I think Moore was almost uh, 60 when he finished his role, too. You know, you're supposed to be this secret agent that's running around. I mean, what we need is the mixture of Pierce Brosnan's looks, his hair, his he looks the best in a tux with Daniel Craig's like intensity and athleticism. We need that mold, that mixture and a young unknown kid. 
Hopefully he's British. Yeah. <laughs> are you telling pork pies in a bag of tripe? Because if you are feeling quiggly, why not just have a Jay Arthur? What, Billy? No, mates. Too right, you. Don't you remember the Crembo Din Din we had with the Grotty Scotch mm. bin? Oh, the one that was all sixes and seven. Yeah, yeah, she was a travelling striper. The Morris dancer lived up the apples and pears. Oh, yeah, 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 she was the barrister that became a yeah. Bobby and a Laurie. The, and they gave her the Gatling gun in the bottom of St. Regis tea kettle. She sat on a turtle. Well, guys, I've had so much fun talking James Bond franchise, but we're going to take a few deep dives. And the first thing we got to do is we got to play a game. Andrew, you ready to play a game? I'm excited to play a game. Let's do this, man. Let's do it. Hello. You don't know me, but I know you. I want to play a game. So we're doing our usual top three type of game, but this time we're supersizing it, and we're doing a top five, considering there's so many films in this franchise. We're really drawing a line in the sand here, guys. And so, like I said earlier, not the biggest James Bond fan, so you know what? I'll go first with my top five. We agreed that we're just going to do our top five individually. We're going to do our top five from five to one and then move to the next person. I'll gladly give my top five out because I know it's just basic as shit. Like, <laughs> I, 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 you, you can tell just by talking with you guys about Bond in general. I'm learning as, as we go. So uh, here we go with my top five. My number five. 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 Is Dr. No, the very first Bond film. You know, for what it was, it was the start of the whole franchise. And I remember my dad showing it to me. And when I first started watching it, I was expecting, like, James Bond to, like, graduate from the Academy. And, <laughs> and, 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 and you know, and the whole story of him becoming. Because I'd heard the name James Bond. I'd, I'd known what the whole thing was. And then my dad told me it was the first one. Sat down and watched it. And I was like, what? he's just starting to work? Like, I don't, even, I don't even understand, like, what's going on, you know? And I thought it was a great introduction. I thought the action for, for the year it came out was pretty good. You know, Sean Connery, he, he does his thing, man. He, he's active. He can get it done, man. He's debonair as hell. Smooth as a motherfucker, and I love it. That's my number five. Number four. 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 I got to go with one of the movies we're talking about tonight, Casino Royale. We'll talk about it more, but I remember this is a very specific story. So back in 2015, I was on unemployment and it was Christmas time and I decided to get a job at Amazon. My first week or so, I was like, okay, cool. I'll just train myself to spend my, my fun time, you know, uh, during the day. I remember I just bought it from a pawn shop, Casino Royale, just to get it. Never seen it before. Popped it in and I was like, man, this movie kicks ass. It kicks so much ass. It's your number four. Um, and, I'm, I'm excited to hear your top three of Casino Royales and barely caps in the, you know, the top five. It was like, this ain't your daddy's bond, you know, like, like mm -hmm. this is like something else, man. You know, I thought the, just the camera work was so great and the, the sound design and just the, the sprawling shots. It was like, it was a whole other bond that I hadn't really seen before because I hadn't really seen a whole lot of bond, but it impressed the shit out of me. And I watched all the way to the credits and I was like, bravo. Yep. Bravo film. <laughs> so good. Uh, number three. 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 Got to go with uh, Sean Connery's last performance as Bond with Diamonds Are Forever. Diamonds Are Forever is actually my first Bond ever. Th they were having some TNT marathon, and my dad was really all about Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> and he was, tell he was telling me all about it. And, and that's some of my favorite stuff. My dad got excited about a movie and would, like, tell me about it. 
And I'm like, let's watch this motherfucking movie, like right now. The Return of uh, Blofeld, just a great little uh, plot with it, with the diamonds and, you know, the, the laser and all that kind of stuff. And just a great memory with me and my father, really. That's why it makes my number three. Um, so number two. Two. Two, two. Uh, it's got to be Skyfall. Sam Mendes' Skyfall. I thought it was a great story point for James Bond. Not just James Bond and his mission are at stake. Like, the actual MI6 are really in danger. Like, all of them. Like, the people in the office building. <laughs> and they really raised the stakes. Um, Money Penny, dude. Two. Money Penny was in danger. Money Penny. Mm -hmm. How dare. Like, how dare you, you know? Um, but, I mean, he does take a few hits in that one, which I thought were surprising. But then number one, 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 it's got to be GoldenEye. It was 95. I was 12 years old. Uh, I had gotten the rundown from my dad. We had gone to go see it at the theater. That was very rare to go see a James Bond film in the theater. And I actually have a funny story about GoldenEye seeing it in the theater. We went to go see GoldenEye at the AMC, uh, the Hewlin 10 now. We went to go see it, and then we went to Bennigan's over on Hewlin. If you're a Fort Worth person, <laughs> you know, they demoed it, but it, it was a landmark for a lot of years. And I remember we went as a family after Goldeneye. It's like three o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know what happened in that theater or whatever, but we sit down to Bennigan's, we get like an appetizer. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I just start vomiting. Oh, God. Like just, it, it was like, you know, but I, I wasn't like Monty Python level, like spraying everywhere. But it was just, it was just nonstop just coming out. My family was freaking out, and it was super embarrassing. And I and I, I didn't go to Bennington for like ten years. <laughs> the picture of you in the back, they had like a mug shot. Like this kid pukes on shit. Don't let him in. So I was twelve years old puking at a Bennington's right after I watched Goldeneye. It really stuck in my brain. It was too much <laughs> sauce. You couldn't handle the sauce. Pierce Brosnan, he's just too damn good. <laughs> but back to the movie, I thought that the movie had so much intrigue because I wasn't a big Jack Ryan fan. Uh, international intrigue really didn't you know, appeal to me at 12 years old. Power Rangers appeal to me at 12 years old. And so to see this this guy, and he was like, super cool. And I remember he was from Mrs. Doubtfire. And I was you know, I was like, I love that guy from Mrs. Doubtfire. And then so I watched it based on that, and I was just so enthralled by it. It was it was sexy, and it was action-packed. And to this day, the, the, the fight between Sean Bean and Brosnan, one of the best fights on screen, in my opinion, ever. I thought it was so real and in the moment, and they, I thought they edited it just perfectly. But yeah, that's my number one, GoldenEye, hands down. For being such a non-Bond fan, yeah. I would expect yeah. you to fucking, you know, why didn't you pick, uh, you know, Live and Let Die, or maybe, like I said, Moonraker, yeah. dude. I've never seen Moonraker, so I, but I am curious. Andrew, as our guest, I would love to hear your top five. I'm excited to run through it. Before I kind of get into mine, you, you kind of touched my heart a little bit there when you said that uh, you watched Dr. No with your dad. I remember watching it with your dad about two yeah. weeks ago. My son was asking me about James Bond movies because I think I was watching the tail end of one of them. So we put on and watched Dr. No. We the wow. two of sat down and watched it. And then, how, how old and is he? He is 11 right now. So Man, can that, he can watch those old films? He can yeah, do it? He said he liked it. I don't know if it was because it was sad. <laughs> Nick and dad time, but uh, but it was a cool experience. And that's one thing we've touched on a little bit. That's why I love a lot of this franchise, the fact that it is cross-generational. My dad loved the Sean Connery James Bonds. And when I was growing up in the 80s, like yeah. when they would show even the Roger Moores on, I don't know, the CBS Sunday Night Movie, 
that was must-see TV to to catch that Bond flick that they're going to rebroadcast on network TV or whatever. And that was a lot of my introduction was, oh, oh man, they're doing a Bond flick? I want to watch this. I want to see The Man with the Golden Gun. This is intense yeah. stuff. And so, yeah, it's it's cool that you watched it with your dad. I watched him with, with my dad. And, and the ability to now, even if he didn't like the Sean Connery Bonds, there's new badass bonds that they keep cranking out so it's just yeah. it's cool that, that that can keep going on and you can kind of still have that experience you know being able to revisit some of the things that i like upon my children whether they want it or not yeah. is always a, a fun like, little plus so it's like the equivalent of playing catch in the backyard yep you know your son's 11 he's grown up with these stupid over-the-top uh, fast and furious movies or yeah. marvel yeah. yeah i was gonna say definitely Super marvel movies it's great that he would at least watch it because I would watch things like just to, you know, not appease my dad, but like, you know, it's dad time. Dad wants to watch this old movie. I'm going to watch it with him, but you never grasped it. Cause it, it was, it just didn't have what you wanted, you know? You know, like he was the only like grown man I knew, you know, like yep. that's the starter. <laughs> kid. Like that's, that's, that's the dude I think is like the shit. Yep. And if he thinks that James Bond is cool, then let's watch some James Bond, man. You can be scared that I might get pickpocketed in a bad neighborhood or I might break my leg skiing, but don't be scared about me being a dad because I will not fail at that. I can't. I love this kid too much. I love him as much as you love me, Dad. And I'm going to give him advice and I'm going to guide him and I'm going to be there for him whenever he needs me. I know this is the right thing to do, Dad, because I would die for this kid just so he wouldn't have to feel one ounce of sadness. That's why you're here right now, to protect me, to be scared for me, to be a good father. And that's exactly what I'm going to be. Uh, Andrew, proceed with your top five, sir. I'll preface this by saying that there are a few James Bond movies that I don't like, but I'll kind of get into the ones that hold a special place in my heart. My number five, 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 five would be The Living Daylights. As much as I like License to Kill, I actually like Timothy Dalton's first one a little bit better. It's got my favorite Bond car in it. I think the purplish Aston Martin that he drives that has skis or something in it at one point. That is the yeah. coolest one to me that in, in any of the films. I think it just looks somewhat like a muscle car. Chubby version of the DB5. Oh, it's awesome. It's like I, a beefed up chubby mm. DB5. <laughs> is it not like Hunter Green? Is it purplish? Is it green? Is I it... thought it was purplish. May I can't remember. I haven't seen that one in forever. Now my memory is, is playing tricks. But anyway, I think that one is, is awesome. But the, the movie itself I think is great. And I think that Timothy Dalton does a great job just kind of in, inheriting the character and it has good supporting actors in it. And I think that's one of the essential parts of any Bond movie is the supporting cast that they throw around and, and kind of interesting characters and henchmen and whatnot. But I would say Living Daylights definitely makes my top five. My number four... Four. 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 Is one you actually already mentioned. I'm actually kind of surprised that it did make your list, which sure. is Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, Man, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm surprised by both of y'all picking that one. <laughs> it is. This is my list of ones that I like. I know that Goldfinger is better than it. Thunderball is better than it. Actually, From Russia with Love is a better movie, but all the weird quirks of Diamonds Are Forever and the fact that Sean Connery is past his prime and probably shouldn't be doing this movie, 
And the fact that, if anything, that one and maybe the Lazenby one are getting into the Austin Powersy territory of being self-parody yeah. a little bit. For whatever reason, I love it. I really love Diamonds Are Forever. And he's got a badass muscle car in that one, Mustang or something, through the streets of Las Vegas. Mr. Kid and, and I can't remember what the other one is, but just weirdo characters. I, <laughs> yes, Diamonds Are Forever holds a special place in my heart. Knowing full, full well that it's not a particularly good movie, but but it's definitely one of my favorites. I support you 100% when you put that on there. I was like, all right, kindred spirit here. I'll take it. But to transition, my number three. 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 I go back to a Roger Moore. For Your Eyes Only is, is probably my third favorite James Bond. And it's the one Roger Moore where he plays it straight for the most part. It's more gritty and more grounded. And as much as I love some of the other Roger Moore stuff, I think he does a really good job ratcheting it down a notch. It is right on the tail edge of him being credible as somebody that could kick someone's ass. Because after For Your Eyes Only, it's comical when they put in a stuntman that looks nothing like Roger Moore to do something. <laughs> but he can still kind of pull it off in For Your Eyes Only. So I'll, that's my number three. And I think the rest of my movies you might have all heard already. Casino Royale <laughs> is my number two. 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 I think Casino Royale is almost the perfect Bond movie. The only yeah. thing that keeps it from being a perfect Bond movie is the fact that it doesn't have Q in it. It doesn't have, you know, some of the cool gadgets that you get in some of the other ones. He has a couple toys in a Casino Royale, but he's not full-fledged Bond yet. And so that's the only reason why I, I, I wouldn't put it at number one. But still, I think it's fantastic. I, I really love Casino Royale. And then, shocker, my number one... <laughs> one. 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 Is the same as your number one, Goldeneye. I love Goldeneye. I think Pierce Brosnan knocks out of the park. He does a great job. He is a fantastic Bond. Of all the actors we, we probably are going to discuss, he was made to play James Bond. And it's almost yeah. a shame that Goldeneye is great and the rest of his movies get progressively worse and worse to the point that they're awful by the time he hangs it up. But Goldeneye, I love the movie. I love the Nintendo game that it spawned that I spent way too many hours playing and I would play right now if I had the ability to do so. So yes, my number one, Goldeneye for sure. I had a great time watching it a couple days ago when I knew we were going to discuss it. Thank you for the extra excuse to watch this movie again. It took me right back. My, my stomach started turning. I'm telling you, Goldeneye <laughs> fantastic. Charlie's like, uh, I'll never eat a money crystal again, bro. <laughs> anyways, anyways, uh, Ryland, my man, I want to know, what are your top five Bond films? Uh, I'm just I'm so happy I get to do this Bond episode. You know me. You know me, Charlie. I either talk about James Bond or, or Indiana Jones in almost every episode. I never expected to see you again. I'm like a bad penny. I always turn up. Here we go. And, and you guys have kind of delved into it. So I'm going to keep mine very short, very sweet. Number five. 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 Skyfall. To me, it's all about the villain. Javier Bardem is one of my favorite actors of all time. You've got Sam Mendes' direction. Beautiful, beautifully shot. God, it's gorgeous. Probably the best intro song. We haven't talked about the intros much. Adele's Skyfall? I'm sorry. It Everyone else loses. <laughs> Swept away, I'm It's a 
trope we really haven't touched on much, but man, that is something. It, the reason why the Bond franchise means so much to me is, is they're so consistent. You know you're going to get one every two to three years, Godforsaken six, but they're there. They have this trope. Obviously, the trope list is long, but at the same time, it's it's that's why you're going. The same people have ran the business, and that's why the consistency is there. I love the over-the-top visually artistic intros. They're overly dramatic. They're so cool. Most of them, especially in the Brosnan era, they really tried to push the visual effects of it. And it got really cool. And, and I've always enjoyed that part of it. And I think Skyfall takes the cake on, on intro. Number four. 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 I'm going with License to Kill because it is the first introduction to a dark bond in the, in the whole series, a dark, dark bond, yep. PG-13. Every kill is just over the top and fucking amazing, which I love, but it's also pretty grounded. You know, it's not like cheesy over the top, it's just brutal. His is a true representation of the character. He kills it, I love that film. We're going to number three. 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 I gotta go with old school, dude. Goldfinger. I'm surprised that was not on any of y'all's list, to be honest. It's great. <laughs> Connery is hitting in all cylinders in Goldfinger. Yep. This is the reason we have, to me, the franchise. He became a bigger-than-life character in this film. So which movie is this? Like, is the first movie, second movie, third movie? It's Connery's third. I think they picked some of the best stories, obviously, Dr. No and, and From Russia With Love. The scripts are probably better. That's why they went with those first two strong scripts, because they didn't know what they were getting. But by the time Goldfinger comes along, it gets to that perfect melding of really out there bad guys, odd job, yep. the guy who throws the hat, you know, Goldfinger. I mean, come on, a whole Austin Powers movies written about, you know, this character. <laughs> An over-the-top villain and that's what i adore in a good bond it's an it has to have an over-the-top eccentric villain if you're going to be vanilla or medium just be super intelligent but have something have some charisma that's what makes any good solid you know dramatic hero against a bad person they have to have something I'm, i forget what's the name of the uh the bond girl in that one i just i the name escapes me what i mean pussy galore i, I have a whole oh. list of bond girls and she's at the top pussy galore so that's a true okay. It's the first film with the Aston Martin, DB5. I mean, come on. The, the, okay. the famous line, you know. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Just, it's full of the lasers and the crotch. And it just, it, like I said, it's Connery's eek. But I'm, I'm surprised y'all didn't mention it because, man, to me, that's the jump off point. That's where Bond just went hard. And it spanned, I think, what would be the next 50 years of movies, which is awesome. My number two. Two. Two, two. I gotta go with Goldeneye because that was my first personal experience with Bond. That was my Bond. I was in the video game. Uh, Pierce, I just thought Pierce Brosnan was just the coolest motherfucker to ever live. I will fight anyone. I will die on the hill of him being the best looking Bond, hands down. Can he do as many pull-ups as Daniel Craig? No, but nobody looks as good. His hair quaff, his like, you know, his little wave in his hair, the suit. I will say, I mean, he's charming as fuck in the movies that he's in. You're right, Goldeneye was the watershed moment for Pierce Brosnan, because he, he got four other chances, and like, yeah, they were all just mediocre. So that's what's sad about Brosnan, is his career started hot and just fizzled. Uh, you know, Craig was able to keep it going. Quantum of Solace wasn't his fault. There was a writer's strike, like we said, and it was just a garbage movie, but, but Pierce, uh, I mean, they were still making hella money. They weren't bad movies, at the t and especially of the time. They just look terrible now when you look back at them. They haven't aged well, so. You're talking about Bond using things of the time and, and keeping with the time. Late 90s, early 2000s, bad CGI was rampant. Well, I mean, and well the invisible car. Yeah, I mean, they went guilty. so beyond with gadgets where you're like, eh. <laughs> but the invisible car got me where I was like, all right, they're trying too hard. <laughs>
Q's not that smart. I mean, look at him. <laughs> you think he's going to come up with an invisible car in his 90s? No. Number one. 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 Casino yeah. Royale, we're going to talk about it. It's just, it's the perfect mixture. Everybody gave hoopla about Daniel Craig, man. He just comes out and kills it. Some of the best villains. The introduction of Vesper, you know, the one girl that really kind of fucks with him that entire franchise and they kind of yep. kept with it the whole time. Built that character, which is great. Um, the card game, everything about this movie, dude. Lashif is probably, in my opinion, the best villain out of the Craig line, for sure. Mads Mikkelsen is just so fucking perfect for a pod villain, just the way his face looks. Well, shit, guys. I mean, uh, th- th- thank you for playing a little top five game. Uh, well, we always love a good game here. So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. That's the kind of thing an idiot would have on his luggage. But since we're already, I mean, we've been talking about it. Uh, you guys want to go ahead and get into our triple feature here with James Bond? Let's get it going. So this week, we watched three Bond films. License to Kill, Goldeye, and Casino Royale. <laughs> So uh, let's get into the first film, guys. 1989's Timothy Dalton Bond-led License to Kill. I want you to know this is nothing personal. It's purely business. Killing me won't stop anything, Sanchez. See you in hell! (laughs) This private vendetta of yours could easily compromise Her Majesty's government. You're going after Sanchez, aren't you? Are you crazy? Sound and you're dead. No! Your license to kill is revoked. Effective immediately. In my business, you prepare for the unexpected. Problem solved. I'm more of a problem eliminator. <laughs> Commander. He's got to be stopped. Upon watching this movie, guys, I got to say, one thing that I took away from it was just how American it was. Yeah. It kind of has, like, James Bond, like, being overcome with emotion. But in, and then this character of Felix, you mentioned Felix again earlier on with No Time to Die. What the hell is going on? Sanchez is in the Bahamas. Have you cleared it with Nashville? We've got the green light. Let's go. Hey, Felix, Felix, haven't you forgotten something? Oh, uh, James. Explain to Della, will you? No way. I'm coming with you. Okay, but strictly as an observer. 
Felix Leiter is the his CIA contact buddy that's in a lot of the James Bond movies. And the funny thing is, okay. up till this movie, whenever he would come in, it would be played by a different actor. So you would yeah. always have a different Felix Leiter. If he kind of needed help from the U.S. government or he was kind of bumping against the U.S., the guy that would always show up is generally Felix Leiter. And this one is the first one, because I guess he has a little bit bigger role in this movie, is played by a guy that had played him 12 or or 16 years before in Live and Let Die. So this is the very first one that plays that same role twice. Fine, James. Your friend Kanang has just left the UN. He's probably headed back to his embassy. No, no, don't worry. I've got the place eyeballed, wired for sound the works. His CIA basically buddy. And this one, it really fleshed out where it's not just this guy that he associates with occasionally, that they're true friends. And, and that's another thing that I saw. Like, James Bond goes fishing? <laughs> like what's up with that like you know the, the big wedding setting the central american you know theme with the cocaine and sanchez and all that kind of stuff it, it just seemed so post-cold war but still very much you know a, about the time of the 80s where kind of gave off like a rocky four type of feel to it <laughs> in our country apollo creed is well known and very respected it could be a good victory whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait wait a minute now wait a minute oh. off, when you don't really think you're going to whip me, do you? Where, you know, like, go America. You know, like, like James Bond wants to help America this time. I, um, I love the side characters. You got young Del Toro. Uh, Talisa Soto playing Lupe. She's one of the hottest Bond girls, I think. Yep. Shorty a little patty. She my little bull thing. And Shorty got the fatty. Should he be catching She's in Mortal Kombat too, Charlie. You know that? Oh, she played Katana, didn't she? Yeah, she's Katana, bro. And then Robert Davia Sanchez is a great uh, villain. He's amazing. I gotta say that uh, I like Pat Bouvier. I remember seeing her on the movie and being like, I know this chick from Law somewhere. She is one of the, the ADAs from Law & Order. I think she had a four or five year run on Law & Order in the late 90s into the early 2000s. Yeah, she's great. And, and, and it was one of the first times I saw, like, girls, like, being mad at the other girl for liking James Bond. But, but this is the first one where I saw them, like, at odds with each other. Like, Central American chick, like, she just fell in love with James Bond. Like, love. She said she loves him so much. You must help him. If anything happens to him, I don't know what I'll do. You know, I love James so much. Charlie, um, it's up? James Bond. Yeah, it's, man. It's, oh, what do you expect? It's James it's, Bond here. It's like that guy. He's the dude, man. Walks into the room. He's going to pull the hottest chick out of that room. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He's okay. not even going to try either. And, and I would just be in an awe watching it. I'd be like, watch this. I'm like, this dude's just going to start making yeah. out with his chick like, if, right now. Once he starts ordering that vodka martini shake and not stirred in a tux looking like a million bucks coming in at an Aston Martin, I'll be like, this guy's in sales for sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's a shark, baby. Watch this guy. Oh, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. We hit on it before with just the over-the-top kills. One of the most memorable ones was when, when they threw the guy from The Matrix into the, the pressure cooker or whatever. <laughs> There's six ridiculous deaths in this movie, but this is the best one by far. Yep. Because good old Sanchez throws this guy in a presser, a fucking pressure tank, whatever you yep. want to call it. And then 
He throws the fucker in there and he decides to hit, hit the, he doesn't like turn a knob. He like hits the, the pipe with a axe. Fire axe. Yeah. So, and then he watches the guy through the window, just turn into the guy from yeah. Big Trouble, Little China yep. and blow up. <laughs> One of the best lines afterwards. What about the money, Patron? Laundry. Take it to the laundry. Take it to the <laughs> You made me think about something in the movie that was coming up all the time which was the labels of things in this movie were so incredibly large. Like like, like when he hit the vent on that pressure thing, there was a giant sign that said vent. Like the chips he used when he played poker, it said $10,000. <laughs> Enormous lettering on everything. It kind of took me out of the movie, to tell you the truth. I love the bar scene, guys. You're talking about the bar fight scene? He grabs a whole swordfish and tries to poke James Bond with a whole fucking marlin off the wall. That's part of the American aesthetic that I was trying to talk about was like they didn't have to include that scene, but they did. It was it was very is very much like, you know, bringing America into the James Bond thing. And it, from my perspective, like, you know, as a, somebody who, just, who was just watching the movie, this is kind of a, like an America. Fuck. Yeah. Type of movie. America. watch that i almost feel like whoever was directing that movie right beforehand he watched sylvester stallone's cobra or something he's like oh we, we should do james bond like this let's let's literally like darken this shit up and blow up a guy's head in here and and maybe we can feed somebody to a damn shark or something this is let's do it yeah we could have numerous shark bites in this film <laughs> like tons of shark activity there's a shark submarine and there's tons of underwater shit like that's kind of half the reason why i like it to be honest <laughs> and then young benicio eating it the way Ooh, he did. i mean Ooh. everybody ugh. i mean like fargo stole from this one bro you know what i'm saying <laughs> you know we're being honest that's the same thing that's a shitty right. way to go is what we're trying to get at. And if I was in my 20s and I saw that scene where James Bond was cutting up the cocaine bags, <laughs> like just, just <laughs> wasting the cocaine, I'd be like, no. Damn, man. Yeah. Like, what, are you, what are you doing? I'd be like, yeah, but why? Dude, like spring breaks like a month away, dude. I would definitely say that it's product of the time. It's yeah. very much a just say no type of a Bond movie. And this, this is the era of the 80s and let's fight drugs and kind of everything that goes along. Those are the worst villains right now, the drug yeah. dealers and the smugglers and whatnot. So in one of my notes, I put Sanchez's house, though, his like little cave pool to the ocean thing, his whole layer. That's one of the best damn Bond villain layers I've ever seen. That dude's doing it right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sorry, he's got Lupe in a, in, a, in a bikini in that scene. I'm like, dude, whatever he wants, you know, you know, he's gonna he's, make it work. He's also got so much money that he really doesn't care when. Oh, we just lost a hundred million dollars. He's like, ah. that part was really irking me out. Like, I mean, all this is for the money, but then when the shit starts snowballing, he's like, fuck the money. It's James Bond going rogue. He, you know, he drops his license to kill. Quote the movie, which I love, in front of M. Well, I always thought that was weird that they pop shots off at him. I thought that was a weird scene where he has to jump down off the balcony and do the cool, like, spy roll. And then he just is, yep. like, in the jungle and gets away, of course. He may go rogue, but let him go. Shit. So, <laughs> so for me, I got to say, 
my favorite scene in the movie is whenever he was putting his hands in the maggots. And I love whenever he opens the drawer. <laughs> it's this funny little effect that they had in the drawer where it like kind of waves to make it look like maggots. And then he like sticks his hands in there. I thought it was just a great little effect. Like They didn't even have to do that, but they did. And I thought it was fun. What about you, Andrew? All Favorite right. scene from License to Kill? Before I get into it, I'm going to geek out. If you look closely at what he's sticking his hands in, have you ever gone fishing before? Those yeah. are those little rubber plasticky things with the fake little tail on it. It's just a whole drawer full of those rubbery. <laughs> and, and you're right. They do this great job of having the effect of where they kind of ebb and flow and they move in the thing. But if you look closely, I'm like, oh, those are little rubber things. It's, yes, <laughs> completely fake. But it's very random. But maybe my favorite part of the entire movie is when he tells Carrie Lowell's character, his assistant secretary or whatever, the Bond girl, to go get him a drink. And then he goes and talks to the other Bond girl of the film. She goes yeah. to the bartender. And she's trying to tell the Hispanic guy that she wants it shaken, not stirred. So she does the jerk off hand motion. To- <laughs> shaken, not stirred. Ah, uh, see. And the look on her face when she's trying to explain it, because she doesn't want to be pushed aside to go get him drinks. And so just the look of disgust in her face when she's making the motion, I thought was one of the funnier little in-jokes of the movie. And I get a huge kick out of that moment. That little taste there I thought was really funny. Now, now, Ryland, I'm, I'm going to see if I can try and guess your favorite scene. Uh, it's tied. You know, There's two. The pressure tank kill is tied with the Marlin bar fight scene. Why don't we go outside and we talk in private? Take your hands off her. She's with me. Nobody's asking you, gringo. He's with me. Keep your hands on the table. Here we go. That'll be 350. Do your friends want something? Let me get it. No! Oh! But also, the semi popping a wheelie yep. is, yep. it should trump those two, but sorry, that's more believable than a guy grabbing a Marlin during a bar fight. <laughs> and then also, like, I'm going to kill this fucking guy. That's not my money. I swear, that's not my money. It's in a pressure tank, but it's not my money. We're putting that guy in the pressure tank. We're going to turn it. He should have just turned it up and the guy exploded. No, he turned it up. Then he had to grab an axe to hit the fucking tube, which made no sense. He should have just turned the damn knob up and the guy's head exploded. I'd have believed it more because I'd have been like, it's pressure tank. He turned the pressure up. Anyways. And these gas trucks that just will <laughs> roll without blowing up. Fuck that. Like the second it turns over. <laughs> Explosion. I mean, that's neither here nor there. I mean, it's going to happen regardless. Nobody brought up the, the semi leaping eight feet off the ground to get over a fire pit. Only the back end gets the fire because he propped such a goddamn beautiful wheelie and an 18 wheeler first time. <laughs> And then I like how the goons were like, eh, fuck it. We'll follow him. You, you get to see what happens if you don't pop a wheelie. <laughs> There's some, it's uh, unintended humor, but it's humor. So, Rylan, what would you give this movie out of 10 stars? Man, made in 89, I'm going to give it an 8.9. In the trope of Bond film, I mean, it's in my top five. The only reason that it's not, uh, you know, in the nine range is because it wasn't shot beautifully. It's just gritty and raw and you're right the one take back that I actually saw when i watched it recently because i had to retouch it was the sound that there's no really good soundtrack to it there's no music man i need that in a movie nowadays i'm a big sound editing guy that needed something and it didn't have it, it had no music at all and is tina turner the one that does the song on this one yeah it's it's tina turner in that one and it's it's good oh, i thought I, it was great no no no, no. Nice. 
Golden yeah, GoldenEye's Tina. No, I actually like Tina Turner's version of, of GoldenEye. I think it's good. A Gladys Knight. Gladys Knight, okay, all right. He's leaving, leaving. Oh, that midnight train to Georgia. You got Andrew. I want to know if I give it an 8.9. I'll give it a solid eight. I like it. I like it a lot. But if, if you're going on a 10 point scale in film, I'll, I'll stick with an eight. Very solid. And it does have rewatchability. Some of the kills are ridiculous. It's got random characters in it, like Wayne Newton is in this. And uh, yeah, what's his name? Everett McGill. Like the people under the stairs guy is in the movie. Plus, one of the things I really like about this one. There's a lot of screen time for Q. Some of the movies he's in there for like a half second. This actually has a decent role, so I kind of enjoy that uh, that part of it too. Oh, really, 007? Q, what the hell are you doing here? I might have killed you. Well, I'm on leave. Thought I'd pop around and see how you're getting on. You all right? Yes, of course I'm all right. How'd you find me? Well, Money Penny, of course. She worried sick about you. I feel like I'm rating them based on just the canon of Bond. I think that's why I gave it such a high score. With the way it is, it was so incredibly over the top, in my opinion. There was just a, a lot of just flashiness. Any Bond film is going to have that. But in this one, like it seemed like Bond was kind of taking a back seat to the villain, almost. There was, there was a lot of screen time for the villain. It's a product of the 80s. Like, it is It is trying to conform to that thing. So, with that, I'll give it a solid 7.3. Way above average as far as movies go. It kept my attention. And I'll totally watch it again. That's License to Kill, guys. I, I really enjoyed that movie. But the one I watched right after that was Pierce Brosnan's GoldenEye. When the world is the target. 72 hours ago, a secret weapon system was detonated over 7 iron. And the threat is real. GoldenEye exists. A radiation surge that destroys everything with an electronic circuit. You can still depend on one man. I want you to find GoldenEye. Three. Find who took it. Two. And stop it. One. The name's Bond. James Bond. The world's most famous secret agent is back. We aim to please. And this time, 007 is facing the ultimate enemy. The man who knows him best. Hello, James. What an unpleasant surprise. 006. What's the matter? No pithy comeback? He was your friend. And now he's your enemy and you will kill him. Is the satellite in range? Target is London. Now, the entire world is about to be caught in the crossfire. See you in hell, James. You first. Kill him. The pleasure will be all mine. Would you check her out? That's it all. Three clicks, arms the fuse. Don't say it. The writing's on the wall. Grow up, 007. I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War. <laughs> No, James, I was always better. Both of you, stop it! You like boys with toys. The trick is to quit while you're still here. I wouldn't think of it. Charming, sophisticated secret agent. Shaken, but not disturbed. <laughs> Get us out of here! Bond, only Bond. Man just won't take a hint. You don't need the gun. 
That depends on your definition of safe sex. On November 17th, Rabbit! United Artists brings you, trust me, James Bond. Why can't you just be a good boy and die? That's one trick I've never learned. What about you guys? How did y'all watch your triple features? I watched them in that order. The thing with GoldenEye and Casino Royale is I've seen them probably a dozen times each. So, What about you, Andrew? You know, How did you watch them? I kind of did the, the same, but probably a week and a half ago. I watched about half of License to Kill because they're all on Pluto TV now. I'm not sure if you, that's where you guys consumed some of your Bond. But I just sure. randomly watched about half of it just because I was watching a Bond movie. And then we had our discussion. I was like, oh, I got to get back in these. So I watched GoldenEye in its entirety. And then I watched Casino Royale in its entirety. And then I went back to License to Kill. But like you said, Ryland, these are movies that I've seen so many times that I probably didn't even need, need to rewatch them because right. I was so familiar with what's going to happen. And I already yeah. kind of knew all the little points in it. But it's still an enjoyable watch. These are three of the best. James, you're incorrigible. <laughs> What am I going to do with you? Well, let's toast your evaluation, shall we? Mm. So, so 95, GoldenEye is released. You're, like you said, it's the biggest gap between Bond films. And, and I remember this with the promo of the film. Gave him a great reason to do a retrospective. And I remember I got a lot of my Bond knowledge on the lead-up to GoldenEye. And it's probably what inspired me to, like, beg my parents to go watch it in theaters. This movie, like, from the jump, like, the first scene, he's just he's just doing this base-jumping move and bungee-jumping off of a dam. I mean, that's a great way to start a freaking movie. Can we talk about the director just for one minute? Because apparently I love every fucking movie yep. that Martin Campbell's ever directed. No guards. No walls. No escape. You want it? Come and get it. No! Goldeneye. Rated PG-13. The Mask of Zorro. Rated PG-13. Vertical Lemon. Antonio Banderas. Catherine Zeta-Jones. The Legend of Zorro. Casino Royale, rated PG-13. I'm the guy with nothing to lose. Edge of Darkness, rated R. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light! Dude, I'm a huge fan of 1994's No Escape, which no one knows. It's yeah, Ray Liotta, no, awesome. a great dystopian movie. And then he does Casino Royale. He's got Mask of Zorro in there, uh, Vertical Limit. I'm like, if there's ever a movie about climbing that I like, it's fucking 2000's Vertical Limit. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea it was directed by Martin Campbell, who also did GoldenEye. He did my favorite one in two Bond movie of all time. This man yeah. deserves props. No one knows who fucking Martin Campbell is, and they should. Sorry, I'm just passionate because I just found out yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is this is the '90s Bond. This is this is like the Bond that everybody has their eyes on. It has a legacy. It spans four different personalities, you know. And this is number five, you know. And so it's just fascinating to see 
but the kind of shoes that Pierce Brosnan had to fill with this movie. And I think he did it perfectly. The supporting cast in each of these movies is great. And I think there's no exception in this one either. You got Alan Cumming, uh, Robbie Coltrane, Sean motherfucking Bean. You're late, 007. I have to stop in the bathroom. Ready to save the world again? After you, 006. We got to stop and talk about Fomka, though. Dude. She comes into this movie like a vampire goddess, man. If you're into, like, brunette chicks, the mean ones... She's the perfect, like, Bond bad girl. She squeezes dude to death with her thighs. Yep. Super insane. But she's so hot. She's, like, peaking Fomka. I mean, she's a beautiful woman. She has these stupidly good looks, like cheekbones. And just she's so exotic looking. She's so perfect for a Bond villain. And she's yeah. living it up. And she's colorful. She's a woman in character that's not, oh, oh, please, Mr. Bond, no. Like, she's strong and going to fuck you up. But also she's sexy. So I love that. It's the fact that she owns that character. When she is killing the guy, she is just so good in that role. And yes, she knocks out of the park. This time, Mr. Bond, the pleasure will be all mine. It's just a whole different dynamic in that role. And it's, it's played so well by her. I think this is her best role by far. The story of GoldenEye is that there's this super weapon that was always this urban legend that would cause a massive EMP. That all gets shut down. You automatically have the upper hand. And it was always known as just like this thing that might exist. It might not exist. In this movie, they they reveal that it does exist, and they already used it once. The rest of the movie is him trying to find out where the next GoldenEye is going to happen and, and how to get it and the people that he needs to talk to to find these answers and yada, yada, yada. And again, with any Bond film, it's all about the journey. And the journey is so great in this one. It's especially the the look of the weapon itself, GoldenEye. Like it's yep. so locked down with the double keys and jewel tablet looking thing they have to insert into the <laughs> machine. It just adds to that Bond aesthetic of just, you know, like the gadgety type of stuff, you know. You couldn't not like Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. Why would you hate him? He's he's incredible in it, you know? What I love is Brosnan came on in the mid-90s when all the women that he encounters in his movies are, like, whooping his ass. <laughs> he has to interact with women in a different way than most Bonds did, I feel like. Brosnan just did it so well. He was charming, but also getting into women's pants. Like, he wasn't doing that. They were changing that that trend. Even with Pierce, that trope is over, you know. There are a lot of, I think, pages that are turned in Goldeneye, and they even acknowledge a lot of it. I think there was some talk even going into this movie that, how are they going to keep doing James Bond movies? We're not at war with Russia anymore. There's no Cold War or whatever. And that's one of the first things that they kind of touch on when he has a sit-down with the new M. One of the best lines out of Goldeneye. Yep. You don't like me, Bond. You don't like my methods. You think I'm an accountant. A bean counter more interested in my numbers and your instincts. The thought had occurred to me. Good. Because I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War. Whose boyish charms, though wasted on me, obviously appeal to that young woman I sent out to evaluate you. Point taken. Not quite, 007. If you think for one moment I don't have the balls to send a man out to die, your instincts are dead wrong. A lot of people now... In our time, look back at the Sean Connors and they're like, man, that ain't not quite acceptable. So misogynistic. And, and us as men, we're trying to totally get away from that. So good for Bond to adapt and to say, I'm with you, boys. You know, like times are changing and I'll change with you. Like, and to say that in 95, 
was pretty yep. good also. It was a focal point in that movie where you see really strong female characters and Brosnan being the skinniest. I think Brosnan is the weakest of the group physically. If there was a bench press contest, who would bench press the most and who would oh. bench press the least? Brosnan would lose. And Daniel Craig would win. Yes. You are strong. What do you bench? You bench three plates for sets of 15. Congratulations, but that's bullshit because you don't lift. Had them go through actual MI6 training, any of those actors, <laughs> Craig would be the only one that's like, eh, I'm here, yeah. $50 million, I'll, I'll be shredded, but shit. If you're going down like that road, I would think you would figure out that Daniel Craig is beach muscles. Back in the sixties, it was never about muscles. It was just about size, be in decent shape and have a really good set of chest hair. <laughs> True. The more chest hair you had, I'm not going to challenge a guy with a full fucking quaff of chest hair in 1969. No way. And Rosnan, he really embodies that sixties version because he, he himself, very hairy man, but I think he makes up with it in the charm department for sure. It's great in the suit. He does. He charms that evaluator. You know, he charms Natalia. Natalia hates his ass. Natalia's a babe. As a 12-year-old seeing Natalia, I was like, my God. This woman is beautiful. Shorty a little baddie. She my little bull thing. She's a software engineer? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One thing I kind of enjoyed re-watching this movie that I picked up on, too. So she's wearing the same clothes for almost half the movie because... <laughs> The satellite station or whatever gets destroyed up to the point where she's in like St. Petersburg and she's testing the computer to communicate with Boris. And, and then she meets Bond. She's even on the train. She's like wearing the exact same outfit throughout this. And she still looks just incredible oh. Oh, yeah. for like, yeah. I don't know how many days have passed or whatever. It looks like she just came out of the modeling studio. It's a Bond movie, so you got to give it some, cut it some slack. But I thought that was kind of funny. And of course, you know, Bond gets the girl, obviously. Being, you know, one of my first clear visions of Bond, I thought it was just a great execution of the legend of yep. Bond. Getting into our favorite scenes in Goldeneye. Rylan, what's your favorite scene in, in Goldeneye? <sighs> Man, that's really hard to say. I think the intro is probably one of the best intros, definitely of all time. The reason why it's so good is because they based the video game perfectly off the intro. And as a kid, when I first played Goldeneye, I had seen the movie. The movie had came out almost a year and a half earlier. Am I right, Andrew? The oh, video yeah. game took a almost big delay. A so I'd seen this movie, and then I got to play the video game of that intro scene almost to a T. I mean, I'll never forget being crouched down in a little hallway and I look down and I see a guy on a toilet. Mm -hmm. And I have a silenced PPK. <laughs> And I get to just shoot that man and fall into the stall and then the mystery starts. That is the best video game moment of my life. And I've been playing video games since like 1986. So for that film to be attached to that video game is also a big thing to me. So intro by far. Okay. Um, what about you, Andrew? What's your favorite scene in Goldeneye? As much as I love all of what he just said, my favorite scene in the movie has to be when they get caught by the Russians. They're getting interrogated, <laughs> and then the bad guy general comes in and shoots the guy that's interrogating him, throws him his gun, and basically says, you just shot the Minister of Defense or something. From that moment on to escaping that facility with AK-47 to the tank chase scene, getting to the train, basically that sequence of events is just incredible and great action set pieces. It's a little bit ridiculous when he's driving the tank around, 
but it's still awesome. The whole sequence there, I think for 25 to 30 minutes of, of nonstop action to getting back on that train, that's my favorite part of GoldenEye. Bond is alive. He escaped. Good for Bond. Bad for you. So if I was going to list my favorite scene, the end fight on the top of the satellite yeah. with Sean Bean and Pierce Brosnan. I mean, like I said earlier, it's just one of those. It just looked like two dudes just really trying to fight each other. It wasn't like superpowers being brought in. It wasn't like wrestling moves happening in the scene. It was just two dudes that didn't really want to fight each other but knew they had to throw blows but were still chasing each other. And I thought it was just a, a fantastic sequence. I think it was one of those that kind of carried over into Casino Royale, if, I, if I'm being honest. Uh, but I will say, whenever whenever Sean Bean fell into the satellite, it was one of the first times ever in movie history in my brain where somebody fell and didn't go splat. Oh, yeah. With this one, he just fell, and it, it just, for some reason it had more pain associated <laughs> with it because he didn't go splat. I remember watching it being like, oh, my God. Like, you've got to be hurting so bad right now. And when you first saw it, you were like, oh! <laughs> But ultimately, if I was to give this thing a star rating out of 10 stars, I would give it an easy 9.0. This movie has everything you would ever want with James Bond, in my opinion. It's got the action. It's got the girls. It's got the cars. It's got the epic scenes. It's got the location shoots. Like, if you're going to start anywhere with Bond, I highly recommend starting with GoldenEye. Easy 9.0. What about you, fellas? I'll start with uh, Andrew. I would say this one ranks because it's on the top of my Bond pantheon. It's a 9.9. .9. The only reason it's not a 10, of course, is uh, we all know this. Predator's 10 out of 10, and that's the only 10 <laughs> out of 10 movie there is. I'll do a shout out here to that. But yes, 9.9 .9 because it's fantastic, because Pierce Brosnan in his opening act as James Bond just knocks it out of the park. It's such a great supporting cast. All the little pieces fit together perfectly. This is the Bond movie for which all other Bond movies are judged. So 9.9 .9 for me. Ryland, Goldeneye, what do you think? Man, Andrew, 9.9, .9, really? Yep. I yep. mean, we all know Predator's perfect, but. Yes. With Goldeneye, I'm gonna give it a 9.2, 9.2. Better than nice. License to Kill, definitely. But not by much, because it's just a better looking Bond. And and you say that this is basically his best. I did revisit Tomorrow Never Dies, which is the, the follow-up. The uh -huh. opening for Tomorrow Never Dies is one of the best Bond sequences. That part of the movie, if you can somehow, like, I don't know why, put that as a post credit scene to Goldeneye, then it would be a 10 out of 10 movie. But isn't but he, yeah. like, outdoors the entire time and he's just running from, like, truck to truck? Kind of like if Ernest was a spy? Yes. Rewatch. It's incredible. Oh, my God. Those are Soviet SP-5 nuclear torpedoes. If the cruise hits them... Order them to abort the missile. Uh, we only got one oh. more movie to talk about. And that is 2006's Daniel Craig-led Casino Royale. The man was Le Chiffre, private banker to the world's terrorists, which would explain how he could set up a high-stakes poker game at Casino Royale in Montenegro. If he loses this game, he'll have nowhere to run. You're the best player in the service. The Treasury has agreed to stake you in the game. But if you lose, our government will have directly financed terrorism. I will be keeping my eye on our government's money and off your perfectly formed house. You noticed. I 
hope our little game isn't causing you to perspire. It doesn't bother you killing those people. Well, I wouldn't be very good at my job if it did. How's our girl melted your cold heart yet? James, get the girl out. You're not going to let me in there. You've got your armor back on. I have no armor left. You've stripped it from me. Whatever is left of me. Whatever I am. I'm yours. The only question remains. Will you yield? In time? I believe it was in all three of our top fives, if, if I'm not mistaken. This movie was such a return to form of Bond, especially with, what was it, Die Another Day being the yeah. previous entry before Casino yeah. Royale? Yes. I remember the takeaway from Die Another Day was that they were really trying to put emphasis on Halle Berry, like trying to make it a co-existing franchise, almost. James, he, what is he, uh, windsurfs a tsunami, yeah. trying to like grab <laughs> on a two strings and hold his dumpy body up and do fucking tricks and shit over a tsunami to save his life. Not as fine as the sword fight scene though. And he fights that fucking weird guy who doesn't sleep. It's the villain. Who's like, his thing is, is like, he doesn't sleep, bro. Oh, he puts a thing over his face and he doesn't sleep. Anyways, <laughs> Halle Berry was the best thing out of it. And, but yeah. also like that was him jumping the shark. He, he didn't jump the shark. He jumped the tsunami. Literally, yes, you're right. As good as that Madonna song is, that movie was just no good. The cracks were really starting to show. But the good thing about Bond is that when your time is done, it's all good. Bond is still secure. Yep. We just need you to step aside and bring in a new guy. And that new guy was this, like, totally unknown to me, anyways. The actor named Daniel Craig. Who this is easily the first thing I ever saw Daniel Craig do. What about you guys? I had actually seen Layer Cake before I saw this, and it kind of gave me a little bit of hope, I think, going in. But I didn't know what to expect before I saw Casino Royale. I went in with almost no expectations because I was I wasn't sure what they were going to do with it, and he he kills it. I knew it was too early to promote you. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. So your mistake will be short-lived. If you ever see Daniel Craig's first introduction as Bond, he's got like longer hair, longer than you've ever seen his hair. Mm. Mid to early to mid two thousands, like kind of bleachy blonde. That was their goal. They go, you know what? It, we have to do something. What are we gonna do? We're gonna make him this. We're gonna go dark with it. We're gonna go back to the basics, but we're also gonna take Bond, and, and he's gonna be different looking. And everyone hated it. I didn't know at the time, but when I look back at it, it's so funny to see how much people hated on Daniel Craig. Go back, because it's like 2003 or four, 
Royale came out in six, so he was shooting in five or four. So this is 2002 or three, and he's like super blondy blonde dude and long, like longer hair than you've ever seen. Just the fact that, oh, how, you can't have him be James Bond. It's a blonde. He's a blonde guy. Just the thought behind that and how kind of asinine and stupid that is. But then what do they do? They came out with Casino Royale. And all the fanboys went, okay, oh, yeah. like, we can adapt. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay, just because he's not funny or weird or whatever as Roger Moore or, or Sean Connery, just because his looks are different doesn't mean he's not a good Bond. Very funny. Look, if the chief is that well-connected, he knows who I am and where the money's coming from, which means he's decided to play me anyway. So he's either desperate or he's overly confident, but either way, that tells me something about him. And all he gets in return is a name he already has. I wanted to hit on this part of the Bond character because if we're looking back chronologically of the last two films we watched, License to Kill, I mean, this has Arnold written all over it. It has Walter Hill written all over it. You know, very, very much the, a product of the 80s. You get in the 90s. I mean, you get James Cameron all over GoldenEye. True Lies came out one year before GoldenEye. Like, you think they didn't pull from that? I mean, come on. With Casino Royale, I mean, you had Kill Bill come out two years prior. You had Batman Begins come out one year prior. The Jason Bourne franchise was already yeah. a thing with Paul Greengrass, those super heavy edits on the fight scenes. Jesus Christ. That's Jason Bourne. It's all in there. Kind of an amalgamation of what people appealed to with action movies at the time. Like, they want it more realistic because if that fool's going to take a fall... Or if that fool's going to jump, you know, a long distance, he's be he better have the muscle tone to look like he can do it because audiences are, quote unquote, smarter nowadays. And so you can't have this wiry guy just doing all this superhuman shit. And so it makes sense to make Bond a lot more cut. The mixture of his physique plus his personality it was a fantastic choice for Bond. The opening scene is very Kill Bill-esque. Shot in black and white, blood spattered everywhere. There's a strangulation. It's very, very just adult and quick. The black and white is amazing directorial touch to me. I know it's yep. so simple, but nobody does it. And to see it in a Bond film, especially one that I was so primed for, if you're my age and you're coming off of Brosnan, this is your first introduction to Daniel Craig. I left theater fucking ecstatic. Like, I've never left a theater before. Like, I was so happy. Yeah. I never really dived into the look of the guy. I didn't think that mattered too much. I know he looked a lot different than Pierce, which I was like, you know what? He's not as good looking, uh, in my opinion. But once you see that first film and how gritty and real it is, especially, like I said, that first 15, 20 minutes of all black and white, it just sets the tone. It's a different mm -hmm. world. It sucks you in. And holy fucking shit. I knew that I had 10 years of good Bond films ahead of me. And <laughs> yep. that's like, no, it's, it's, it's one of the best feelings. Daniel Craig is so humble because of that. He knows yeah. that he just kind of won the lottery of actors. I mean, but that's the caveat is that he has to stay. It, no, I give yeah. uber amounts of credit to Roger Moore. He did it 12 fucking years. Mm -hmm. His roles were never as, uh, as physically demanding. But man, that man was damn near into his 60s and was had to look like James Bond in a suit. He didn't have to push ups and pull ups and fucking swim three miles. But that motherfucker could not look fat in a suit. Right. For 15 fucking years. Yep. I would have been eating fucking shrimp and fucking lobster every day of my life. And I look like a fat piece of shit by the time 1985 rolled around. Props to him.
props to any guy that that played this role. But Daniel Craig had the most physical role and deserves all the credit. I mean, the next scene after the black and white sequence is the one in Zimbabwe where he has to chase down this bomb maker. And it's this amazing sequence of just this chase throughout the land, you know, climbing scaffold, climbing, beaming. The beam climbing was really impressive. <laughs> like just, <laughs> just it was like American Gladiators. It's basically another sequence where it's almost 10 or 15 minutes of nonstop action between running and chasing this guy, the guy doing crazy parkour and him trying to use his brain in some instances to keep up when he can't do some of the things he is as strong and as fit as he is. You also yeah. see him logically working things out as he's yeah. going. And it's those little touches that make it that much better and, and that much more of an engaging movie that, that you can follow him doing what he needs to do and solving little puzzles every step of the way, even if he's fighting somebody or trying to figure out how to get in or out of a situation in the moment. And it's great when they put that on screen and it all works. I think it's great. And that sequence yeah. is one that, that also, okay, you have your artsy intro that you're like, okay, this is different. I'm getting into this. But then it immediately moves into, this movie is going to be pretty badass from what it's going to deliver <laughs> action-wise. This is an almost an 80s level action sets and sequences that you're going to see. And it's not just going to be a green screen of him surfing a 50 foot wave or something stupid. This is him jumping around, getting hurt, getting bloodied and kicking somebody's ass if he needs to. And, and it's it's awesome to watch. I, I completely agree with you. And another thing in this movie that they really hit on a lot is the value of human life. They're really big on showing like when somebody dies, like somebody else gets affected by it, whether it be a henchman or whatever, like where in most Bond films, they would just be fodder. They just would die. Great examples whenever they're getting chased again in the stairwell, James Bond chokes that one guy out and Ava Green or uh, Vesper, she watches it go down and dealing with some, you know, some psychological shit. She's like washing herself in the shower, you know, like the the usual movie trope where, you know, you have to get clean, you know, about just sitting in the shower with all your clothes on. Ava Green, though. Dude, she's... Shorty Is Ava Green like in your top? Dude, like... Really? The Ava Green chick? Okay. I mean, I guess. Did you um, not watch the sequel to 300? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Exactly. Because if you did, you'd have a different opinion on that woman. Am I wrong, Andrew? You Come are on. not wrong. You're very much underrating Ava Green, but that's yeah. okay. To, to be the one that makes James Bond want to give up the life. Charlie, you got to understand. This is kind of like early stage James Bond. He's not quite James Bond yeah. yet, I yeah, think. That's true. Maybe he's a little naive at this point. He's not Roger Moore and has run through a thousand different whatever. <laughs> this is early stage Bond. A little smitten. A little smitten Bond. Okay, gotcha, exactly. gotcha. Well, then we'll continue. I mean, are you more of a Christmas Jones fan? No, we're talking uh, Christmas Jones. We're talking Denise Richards here. <laughs> In the Bond fanboy realm, she's always at the bottom. But at the same time, I'm like... No, dude, she was the hottest damn thing of the time. Shorty a little patty. She my little bull thing. And Shorty got the fatty. Shorty be catching more swings. But didn't act that way at all. And then kind of foiled the whole plan. But you know what? She's really hot. 
<laughs> so basically the story of this movie. It's kind of a double agent thing, right? We're like, Lashif is owed money to people above him that are way more dangerous than he is. Yeah. But then Bond gets caught up in Lashif money because of the poker game. Andrew, lay it out. Lashif is the financer for the world's terrorists. So he's basically a middleman when it comes to bad guy money. Early on in the movie, you have the sequence where he is betting against an airline stock and he takes all the bad guy's money, bets against an airline stock, and he tries to have the plane blown up in an incredible sequence. Well, that whole endeavor fails. And so all the money he put shorting those stocks is gone. So he's basically wasted all of his people's money where he thought he was going to get a guaranteed return. And so he's forced to then try to play in this poker game to make his money back for all these bad guys that are worse than he is, like Ryland mentioned, that he owes money right. to. And the thought is that if they can squeeze him by not letting him win, then they can either the U.S. or the Brits can then turn this guy to rat on all these people and, and they can use his information. So that's kind okay. of the, the box that they're trying to put him in. It's 2006. Mm -hmm. I was engulfed in the poker craze. Me too. World Series oh, of Poker. Yeah. Everyone wanted to play poker. I lived in that era. I would go to restaurants three times a week on my days off to play poker tournaments because I was so involved in poker. No Limit Texas Hold'em is the Cadillac of poker. Each player is dealt two cards face down. Five cards are then dealt face up across the middle. These are community cards everyone can use to make the best five card hand. The key to the game is playing the man, not the cards. So this film knew that and totally sucked off of that, but in a good way. It was so well done. It injected the most relevant thing I've ever seen in a Bond film, to be honest. That's why Casino Royale is so good, is because the side characters, obviously Craig's first venture, great script, but they sucked on that popularity of poker. I had this discussion with another Real Ship member, Chris Milligan. Whoa, whoa. He and I play poker occasionally. He's like, the, the only thing I hate about that movie is you never get one where a guy has a straight flush and another yeah. guy has a full house and another guy it's has a flush. one in a billion. Yeah, that doesn't and, happen. Anyways, <laughs> it's epic. He's able to get over on the sheaf yep. and take his money. And then that's whenever the action really starts to ramp up. They kidnap uh, Vesper. And then we get to the torture scene, which is, so it's the same year as Hostel. The torture porn is very much in chic at the time, you know, which is a great scene. I mean, as much as it is just torture for torture's sake, it's a great scene. Yep. It's shot really well, and he can take a hit to the balls, where I don't think that Brosnan really could do that. He'd fold like a lawn chair in that situation. The password, please. I've got the ledge. Down there. You know what's a fun fact about Bond, though, that not a lot of people know from the books? He can take a beating. And being interrogated, beaten, beat to death, like, Bond can take a punch and run through it. That's kind of one of his attributes. You get punched right in the teeth. Yeah, a lot of soft guys are going to go, oh, fucking hey. Bond, you could hit him, knock a few teeth out, he'd never talk. Along with the torture scene, I mean, uh, the whole movie is just dripping with just huge set pieces. Mm -hmm. And the ending scene where the building just starts Venice. sinking into the river. Amazing sequence. 
And I think it sets up for the next chapter in the Bond series as well with its ending. But I wanted to ask you guys, what are y'all's favorite scenes in Casino Royale? Ryland, I'll start with you this time. Uh, I think I have to go with the intro. I think it's so original. The theatrics are supposed to scare me. You have the wrong man, Bond. If M was so sure I was bent, she'd have sent a double O. Benefits of being section chief. I'd never anyone had been permitted a double O status. No. Your file shows no kills. I love the black and white aspect. You realize he's not a double agent yet. He has to mm-hmm. kill his second kind of guy. The intro is the best to me. I gotta say, my favorite scene in the movie has gotta be that chase scene where he's going everywhere and he's and he's taking this guy to task. It really separated every other Bond from the correct Bond in that moment. Easily my favorite scene. But Andrew, as our guest, what is your favorite scene in Casino Royale? You know what? This is a testament to how good this movie is, that we all have different scenes that we like. My favorite, more of a, a sequence than a scene, but him tracking the second bomber, him st- ultimately stopping the gasoline trucks at the end and then all the way to the airport and trying to stop him in the truck and everything. That whole sequence, I think, is is fantastic. That's my favorite part of this Bond flick. If we were going to rate this movie out of 10 stars, Andrew, what kind of rating would you give this movie? Goldeneye was 9.9. I'm going to give this one 9.5. I still absolutely love it. I think I'm maybe going on a Bond scale because the only reason I'm probably not putting this higher is because it has no Q in it. It's missing an essential Bond element, even though it's great. I'll give it 9.5. Very solid. Uh, I would give it easily a 9.3. Been saying it the entire time we've been talking about this movie. It's it's different. It's of the time. It's fast-paced the way this generation likes their action. And I think it's a great addition to any action genre. Easy, 9.3. Ryland, what do you think, man, about Casino Royale? Uh, this is a 9.5 film all day. I love it. I love all the characters. What else do I have to say? That's it. I thought it was just a fantastic week to spend... Just going into Bond and the history. Anybody out there that's listening, uh, if you have any suggestions on what to watch next or what your favorite Bond is, if we didn't mention it at, at all anywhere in this show, we apologize. And to all those affected, I want to say we are deeply sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. Let us know uh, what your favorite Bond is, who who your favorite Bond is. We would love to hear about it. Andrew, it has been so fun talking with you about Bond. You, like, you are so knowledgeable about this thing, man. I'm super impressed. I'm happy that I was able to be back on with you guys after doing uh, The Meaning of Life. Maybe I'm going to get typecast as like the British whatever guy since I, I did some <laughs> British comedy and now we, we got British secret agent. But I'm looking forward to whoever they select next and kind of the direction they take that as well. But I just appreciate the opportunity to talk a little shop with you boys, especially on a series that I'm really into. I, I love all these movies. We're glad to have you on. I know Rylan was super excited, man. He's He's been talking about doing a Bond thing. Like, I want to say within the first six months of us doing this show. Thank you for suggesting it in the group choice. Thank you for being a part of the group. That about wraps it up, guys. And so, for Andrew Edwards and Rylan Johnson, my name is Charlie Thompson, and we have been spitting the real shit. Uh, We'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Peace out. I should have known I'd leave alone 
just goes to show That the blood you bleed is just the blood you own We were a pair But I saw you there Too much to bear You were my life But life is far away from fair Was I stupid to love you? Was I reckless to help? Was it obvious to everybody else? Mm-hmm.